a science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they felt And I just thought, well, it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. Quick note, we have live shows coming up November 26th in London, December 3rd in New York, and December 9th in Boston. StoryCollider.org for more details. This week's story is from Shale Matsuda. The story was recorded in October 2014 at the Rickshaw Stop in San Francisco, California, as part of the Bay Area Science Festival. So I'm a marine biology graduate student, and I'm in the Philippines on my very first scientific expedition. And we're all at our lab benches, and we're going over our specimens. Everyone's working really hard. And then all of a sudden, I hear it from across the room. Oh, what, what, what's this species? I've never heard of this before. And the room gets quiet. And my heart sinks into my stomach. Because, you see, I know what happened. Earlier that day, I'd given him a list of all the uh, different scientific names of the, the creatures that we had collected, and I had spelled one of the scientific names wrong. Now, why was this such a big deal, right? And it wasn't just my, my first expedition as a scientist. It was my first expedition as a man. You see, I'm transgender, and at that point... I was at the very beginning of my transition. And so this really was a big defining moment for me. It was these two large threads of my life kind of colliding at the same point. I was trying to prove myself as a scientist, but I was also trying to be accepted as one of the guys. Now, rewind like seven months. It was my uh, end of my first year as, as a graduate student, and I was finally able to start really seeing a future for myself in science. And this funny thing happens when you're happy you start picking up on all the things that are actually missing in your life. And it was kind of through that time that I really started coming to peace with the knowledge that I was never going to be truly happy until I lived on the outside as I'd always felt on the inside, until I transitioned. And now this wasn't like a really new thing. Like I had been, I'd struggled with gender for a long time, but as a scientist, you know, I was always like looking for some evidence. I was like, are you sure? Is there proof? Like, do you really know this is you? And, and that evidence didn't ever come, but the clarity did. And with the clarity came fear. I mean, transitioning is, is a really scary thing in its own, but I was really scared about what this would mean for me in science. I mean, especially like science, not necessarily in San Francisco. So I did the next logical thing, and I Googled transgender scientists to see like, who was out there. And Wikipedia told me that there were uh, 14 transgender scientists. Twelve of them were male to female. Two of them were female to male like me. One of those two was dead, but the other one lived in California, which meant that there was hope. And, and so afterwards, I, I began the process of coming out. And I'd had a lot of experience doing that as a lesbian. But like I was saying, like this whole idea of like proof, I was like, this is my girlfriend, this is evidence, right? But when you're coming out as transgender, it's just you. And you're, you're the evidence that you're asking people to look at and support. And... So I came out to my advisor through, through an essay for a grant. I, I handed him this essay, and I said, we should probably talk about this. I'll, I'll be right back. And I gave it to him, and I like, went away, and I was kind of pacing around upstairs, like really sweating my palms. And when, you know, about 20 minutes had passed, I, I went back downstairs, and I rounded the corner, 
and I saw him. He was standing in, in the doorway to his office, and as I walked up, he greeted me with the biggest smile. And, and from there, I started coming out to everyone in my department, one at a time. Now it's three months before the Philippines trip, and I start hormone replacement therapy, and I have my first shot of testosterone. So, going back up to the Philippines, I'm at the airport, I've got you know, all my dive gear, I have um, my passport, which still has like, my old gender marker on it, I've got syringes, and I'm like, ready to go battle the TSA, but I get through the airport, and I get to the Philippines, and I join the expedition. And I, what I didn't realize is that I had no idea what to expect. So day one, we're about to go on our first dive, and I realize I don't have any of the right gear. Like, I don't have a bag to collect the specimens in. I don't have any little jars to put them in. I don't have the right tools. I don't even know what the right tools are. So I'm, like, running around the lab trying to, like, grab anything I can while everyone else is loading up the boats. I get in the boat. We get out to the dive site. We go into the water, and we're descending into a world that I like, couldn't barely even imagine before. The water is clear. There's, like, bright-colored fish, corals. It is, it's fantastic. But all of this excitement starts to fade as we get to the bottom and I realize I don't know how to find sea slugs. So I study sea slugs uh, for my research and at the Academy of Sciences, you know, where where I do my work, it's really easy to find them. They're right in the jars. And in the ocean, you know, the the brightly colored animals, they don't really stand out because everything's brightly colored. So I'm starting to swim around and getting a little nervous. I mean, the 10 minutes passed and I'm like, what if I can't find these things? Can I keep studying? Can I keep studying them? Like, is this going to be okay? And then I find one. I see one. It's right over there. I swim over. I open my goodie bag. And all of a sudden, all those little jars that I forgot to put water in are, like, trying to float to the surface. I'm grabbing the jars. I'm, like, trying to keep my eye on the slug over there because I'm, like, I'm going to get that guy. And, you know, I get everything back in. I get the slug in the jar. The dive ends. Like, everything's fine. And I go up to my advisor, and I have this bag of these, like, big, bright color slugs, and I'm, like, really proud of myself. And he's, like, he looks in this bag, and he's, like, you know, like, okay, like, that one's common, common. Oh, I saw a few of those down there, too. And, like, everything I'd found was, was, like, pretty common. And so I was, like, oh, man. And he's, like, look for the really small white ones. And I'm, like, I could barely find these huge, colorful ones. But I'm, like, okay, it's fine. So I take the slugs over to my lab station, and I, I start processing them. And what I've got at my table is I have, like, this big Tupperware bin that they're in, and I have, like, forceps and, like, you know, tweezers. And I'm trying to move these really tiny, fragile animals around, and it's taking a really long time. And so I kind of look over my shoulder, and I see what my advisor's doing. Now, he's got completely different tools than me. So he's using, like, an eyedropper, a plastic spoon, and those little uh, food containers they give you on the airplane. And I'm watching him, and he's using the spoons to, like, scoop the slugs up very gently and the eyedroppers to get the little ones. And putting them in a small dish makes it a lot easier to kind of keep track of those small ones that we're supposed to be finding. So I spend the rest of the week, like, following everyone around at lunch after they eat their mango ice cream and, like, grabbing their spoons and building my toolkit. <laughs> And, you know, and, and so I'm starting to, like, figure out, like, how this really works, how this field work goes. Now, being in the field means that you spend a lot of time with everybody. Now, when I came out at, at the museum, it was easy for people to kind of just, like, avoid pronouns for me altogether. Like, we didn't interact a whole lot while we were at work. But when you're in the field, you find out that, yes, like, pronouns are a really big deal, really big thing that we use a lot. And I was getting, like, sheed all the time. Or sometimes I'd be in a conversation, and this person would be saying he, this person would be saying she, and I was sitting there wondering. I was like, do you know? Have I told you yet? Are you listening to each other? And it was a lot of thinking on the fly about, like, what, what I was supposed to do and... 
there was a lot of people on that trip from like University of the Philippines, from other institutions in the United States, like experts in their field. And I was trying to like prove myself as this like scientist and. It, it it was a very it was a little bit challenging to say the least and and it even affected kind of the way that I was feeling about myself as a scientist so someone would say you know oh yeah Shale did a really good job collecting those sea slugs and I'd be like yeah and then they'd be like she and I'd be like ah and really though more than the way that other people thought of me what was really getting to me was how I was seeing myself you see like at this point I'd only been on testosterone for three months. My voice had just barely started to change, and it was before I had chest surgery. And it's really hard to ask people to see something in you that you're having a hard time seeing yourself. It's also hard to hide your body in a wetsuit. So when I would go diving, I would be wearing like briefs, board shorts, a chest binder, two swim shirts, a rash guard, and a full-body wetsuit. Now, walking around in this, I felt like the Hulk, but really what I looked like was just kind of like a lumpy scuba diver that everyone probably thought was overheating. And this followed me on land, too. So we had roommates, right? And I had been assigned to room with another graduate student from the University of the Philippines, but it turned out that he couldn't make the trip. So I found out one morning that I was uh, going to room with someone from the academy in, in exhibits who I'd never met before, had definitely not told that I was transgender. And so he shows up, and I'm kind of thinking, like, should I say something? Like, how do you, like, I don't know, why, like, if he's going to be uncomfortable, then, like, I mean, I can't really do anything about it. Um, it also happened to be a shot day. And so I saw him having a drink at the bar. I was like, great, I'm going to go upstairs, give myself a shot of testosterone, think about this a little more, come up with a plan. So you know, I go upstairs, and I'm like in my room. My pants are down. I have the syringe in my hand. I'm about to stick it in my leg. And I hear the door open. I hear, sorry. And I'm like, it's OK. We probably should talk about something. And, <laughs> and the next day is when I spell that scientific name wrong. And so things started out a little bit rocky. But just like the tides, with time, things began to change. When I'd be scuba diving, I could identify the species of slugs underwater. I knew which ones we were looking for. I was like developing like sea slug eye. It's like a sixth sense, like I swear. Like, you know, you, out of the corner of your eye, you like see that patch of algae moving and you just like, you know that there's one in there. And I was finding all those really small ones and getting really good at it. I was also getting stronger. Because right before I left for the Philippines, I'd gotten the thumbs up from my doctors to increase my testosterone to a full dose. Now, that effectively doubled the amount of hormones I was on. So that, in combination with diving every day and like lifting a lot of stuff, like I was actually starting to bulk up. And that improved my confidence. And it kind of helped me have these conversations about my transition with a lot more of my colleagues. And then finally, I'd heard the words I've been like waiting to hear all expedition. So my advisor's like sitting there over the microscope, looking at one of those like really small little white slugs that I'd found, and he's like, ah, this one's new. And I'm all like, you know, on the outside, I'm like, cool, you know, whatever. But on the inside, you know, I'm like, I just hit the biodiversity jackpot. And so that was my first, you know, undescribed species of slug. And so like, I was feeling pretty good. And like, we were all kind of starting to get into the flow. And there's this funny thing about being like in the field that like that really brings you closer. It's like those long nights sharing a drink after like you know processing a ton of specimens. And the she's started to turn into she he corrections. And then finally just into he. And I was learning to relax and to just be comfortable in who I was. We were all learning. 
And what I was really realizing is that this journey wasn't something that I was going on alone. You see, this was something that was new for everyone, and we were all figuring it out together. So the end of the trip was near, and they were all getting ready to move on to their third site, and I was getting ready to kind of take off on my own for a week. And I was going around, and I was saying my goodbyes. Now, finally, my van pulls up, and I'm about to grab my bag, and that guy who, you know, called me out for the misspelling of the scientific name walks up to me, and he, you know, extends his hand. And as I take his hand, he looks me in the eye, and he says, you're not going anywhere, young man. Thank you. That was Shale Matsuda. Shale researches sea slugs as an MSc candidate at the California Academy of Sciences and San Francisco State University. When not in the lab, he hosts the interactive science happy hour series, Science Neat in San Francisco. He uses watercolors and digital media to make science more accessible to wider audiences and creates and facilitates unique research opportunities for high school students underrepresented in STEM. For more science stories, take a look at storyclatter.org, where we have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. Also, we depend on listeners like you for our support. If you love the podcast, please consider donating at storycollider.org slash donate. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, and Ari Daniel. The podcast is produced by Rose Evelith. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the Rickshaw Stop for hosting the show, to the Barrier Science Festival and Kishore Hari for incredible help, and to birds outside my window for inexplicably still being here in November. Thanks for listening. <laughs>